Uh, good morning. I think it's still morning, maybe close to almost not being morning. I know most of you, a few of you are new faces. My name is Chris Cox. I teach occasionally here. I get to partner with Echo while we invest in local mission within the city of Cincinnati. That's where I spend the bulk of my time is with this organization called Back to Back Cincinnati, where we work on trying to find resources for orphan and vulnerable children around the city. Um, most of my days are spent in after-school programs or playing basketball or in schools, trying to do enrichment opportunity. But our, my philosophy on the ministry that we do is really the idea that every child has a voice and that there are resources that have kept them from finding that voice because most of the time we're addressing behavior and not belief system. That's kind of my overarching thing is that for most of us, that might be true, that most of the time people in our lives have addressed our behavior and not necessarily our belief system. I saw a friend last night who posted on his Insta story this photo of a CD of Above the Rim. I don't know if you know this soundtrack from the 90s. It is fantastic, but I do not recommend that you listen to it with your children in your car. And his statement underneath was, this is the third copy of the CD that I have purchased because in the 90s, either my parent or my youth minister confiscated my other two. Because the idea was, if you listen to this music, if this is your behavior, then it's going to influence your belief system and you're not going to be a good kid. Instead of understanding what his belief system was and that impacting the behavior that was in response to whatever he listened to or was viewing. And maybe you grew up in that environment where behavior was so overwhelming to either your parent or your caregiver or your teacher or a coach that they would address behavior instead of giving you a reason to change your behavior because of what you could believe. And that when we change what we believe about a person, about God, about ourselves, it influences what we do and how we do it. But when we're convicted to change what we do and how we do it without actually influencing what we believe about ourselves, what we believe about others, or what we believe about God, the behavior it just ends up being this outward action of the belief system anyway. And that is where shame actually begins to filter into our approach to life. When someone demands that I change my behavior in order to be in community with them, but my belief system around that community has not changed, then I fail to live up to the belief system. Shame enters in and says, you're not good enough to be here. You're not welcome here. This wasn't meant for you. God doesn't want you. You're not good enough for him. Family's not an option. Something's just broken. It, it seeps in when we start to address our behavior instead of what we believe about the behavior. And I, I say that on front of this sermon because we're in the midst of a conversation around slowing down church. Slowing it down to a place where we can actually work through the belief system around a community that is centered on the resurrection of Jesus and his reconciliation of us to him. And by us, we mean all of humanity. Slowing down the church and its rituals, its sacraments, its belief system around so that we can have a conversation of saying, what does this really look like? So that our behavior continues to reflect or begins to reflect 
the belief system of a God who would say, I want you to be with me forever. Like I wrote this into existence so that you would be with me forever. Does our belief system match that? And does our behavior reflect that opportunity? Today's conversation is around the idea, the belief of gratitude or thanksgiving. Recently, I was teaching at an event, and I was in the back of the room, and I was using some, some notes on a screen for that particular event, and I was making some edits in the back, and a college student walked in, and as he walked past me, he had this moment where he looked over, and he said, oh, I know you, and I looked up and thought, I have no idea who you are. Maybe I've met you. Maybe you've been at an event I've spoken at before. I don't know. I'm at a lot of things, and I meet a lot of college-age students especially, and I said, how do we know each other? And he said, I was at that event that you spoke at last week. I was in the crowd with all of the students. I was like, oh yeah, that was a fun event. That was really hard because we were co-teaching and we had 20 minutes for two people to get all of our stuff done and we had a lot of content. And he said, I loved your message. It was like my favorite message of the week. And I'm like, really? Because it was really hard. because I had never met the guy I was speaking with before and so we're trying to connect on stage and not say the same thing it was really it felt like a lot of work to me and I thought it I actually thought it sucked I was like this is that was a terrible message like so I was intrigued when he said that was my favorite message of the week and I'm like really because I could use some encouragement right now because I thought it was horrendous what did you love about it like give me something back because I thought that was just trash and he said um I'll be honest I just say that to people that I see who spoke on stage so that I could be in a good relationship with them so maybe I'll speak on stage with them one day. He was like straight up. He was like, I just say that to guys who I know that have spoken and I'm like, I appreciate your honesty, jerk. I bet I know what Bible college you go to. And it's probably in Cincinnati. Uh, And I'm like, you are working the game that we've been taught to work of, I have to tell you that I love your stuff because this network is small and this community is limited. And if I have access to you, maybe I have access to your resource. So I'm just going to tell you, you're the best teacher I've ever heard. But he didn't recognize how direct I was as a human that I'm going to look back at him and be like, what'd you like about it? Tell me something. And he's like, nothing. I don't even remember it. I'm like, oh, appreciate that. Thank you. It was trash. I remember. A little bit later, I was at another event, this time as a participant, and there was a circle of chairs, and we were working on storytelling. This room had three high school students who claimed Jesus as their belief system, three students who claimed Islam as their belief system, three students who had a a Jewish background as their belief system. Pretty phenomenal circle. And the objective was to tell each other a five-minute story and to interact and to share different backgrounds. It had taken us a year to actually make this event happen because everyone in the room was afraid of the Christians, that the Christians were going to come into the circle and try to proselytize everyone else there. And there was fear, and there were fear from leaders. So there were these nine students, and then there were adults representing each faith that were in the circle as well to make sure that this thing didn't go crazy sideways for their students. 
And as our facilitator started the conversation, he said, we each have two responsibilities as stories are shared this morning. Responsibility number one is that we would, his words, hold the space. Like, what, what do you mean by that? He said, we're going to get distracted. You're going to want another cup of coffee. You're going to want to go to the bathroom. You're going to hear something in a story that's going to make you think squirrel, right? Like it's going to be an, an episode of Up where you're going to be like, oh, squirrel, go. Hold the space. Hold this focus in this conversation. That's our, that's our job, number one, is for us to hold the space no matter what the story is, no matter how well the presenter is. Our job is to hold the space, number one. And then our second job is to respond with gratitude and encouragement. Interesting. How does that, how do you do that? Because I can say thank you. That was the best story I've ever heard. And someone say, what'd you like about it? I'm like, I don't know. I think that's just what we're supposed to say because we're supposed to respond in gratitude and encouragement. But our facilitator then gave us the prompt and said, so at the end of each story, I'm going to ask you to respond this way. Thank you for sharing your story. The part that spoke to me was, and then you fill in the blank. The part that I resonated with, the part that made me think, the part that I hadn't considered before was this. But we're always going to respond by starting with the words, thank you for sharing your story. And so this morning as we dive in, and I want to read a scripture to you, and then you're going to hear a story this morning, I wanted to start this way. First, thank you for being at Echo this morning and sharing your story with us, because the way you entered into this place, the burdens that you carry, the joy that's on your heart, the stories that you started to share with one another, the little moments, the little tidbits of information that you just gave one another is a part of the story that God is writing through you and some this morning are heavier than others but you woke up you walked in and you participated so thank you for sharing your story I want to invite you to listen to the rest of this morning and be ready to respond at the end in gratitude and encouragement to the story that you're going to hear in a few moments by saying this is the part that resonated with me I'm going to read a scripture or two. I'm going to pray. And I'm going to invite my friend Johannes to come up. And he's going to tell us a story about gratitude this morning. And we're going to listen and engage. But before we did so, I wanted us to set the expectation of what it means to actively participate in stories that are told. Because thanksgiving and encouragement are the response of the kingdom of God to the generosity of the creator. This is what I mean by that. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, Paul writes these words. He says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, As you teach and admonish one another in all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. The word thankful and gratitude both come from the same word in this. It's the word Eucharist, sorry, Eucharisteo, the coffee's still sticking, I should have drank some water, which is actually two words, Euo, which is the word 
good. And then charis, grace. Whenever Paul writes in the New Testament about thanksgiving or gratitude, he's using a terminology that says, share with one another that the grace is good here. That the grace is working here. That the grace is being well done here. And if you look throughout all of Paul's writings, he engages in the grace or the thanksgiving that we would give to God. That we would be thankful for the generosity that God has given to us. He engages in the way that he would give grace to others. He starts the book of Ephesians by saying, I am thankful for, to you, for you and I acknowledge your name in my prayer. So he says, the grace is good from me to you. But then he also uses words around the goodness of grace, of being the, the essence or the ethos of thanksgiving or gratitude of saying offering good grace to one another in passages like this of Galatians chapter 5 where he says for the whole law is fulfilled in one, one word you shall love your neighbor as yourself but if you bite and devour one another watch out that you may not be consumed by one another he's he's using this this idea around gratitude and thanksgiving of saying this is what you offer to each other as neighbors is that you would love one another, you would engage in one another, you would offer good grace to one another because without good grace, we start to devour one another. How many times have you sat through a sermon and critiqued it? How many opportunities has a story been told to you or around you or about you that you've put on an essence of critical thought Instead of an attitude of gratitude and response. How often have you watched a movie and walked out ready to offer that scathing blog review? I just listened to a podcast last night that just destroyed Ben Affleck's new movie on Netflix. Just roasted it. I was like, really? This is... This is our tendency. We devour and consume when our identity comes from our comparison with our neighbor instead of our gratitude that what they are experiencing and how they live and how they experience is an invitation for us to claim that the grace is good in all of our lives. Either that the grace is good because we hear it from the story and in a story that is shared with us, we say, thank you for telling us that story. I heard this goodness in it. Or we're grateful for the absence of grace as the opportunity for us to engage the story of God into a struggling story. That instead of us responding to hard stories with, I knew they weren't perfect. I knew things under the surface had to be rough. I knew it wasn't that good. We respond to the story with saying, oh, I don't hear much grace in that story. So I get to say to that story, thank you for telling me your story. What resonated with me most is how hard your struggle is. But know you are not alone. Know you are welcome here. Know I will listen anytime. Because gratitude just means the grace is good. It doesn't mean that the story is easy. 
But stories are coming. They're being shared here. And so I would ask as we listen to my friend Johannes, and I can say friend now because we've spent the last month talking about gratitude over coffee, which is the best way to be grateful when there's a Chemex involved. We will listen to his story and then we're going to finish this morning by sharing in the Eucharist. The grace is good through the blood and body of Jesus. And I'm going to ask you to respond to the story that's shared with you. So I'm going to pray. Then Johannes is going to come and share with his story. And then we're going to respond to his story together. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the, the response of gratitude to your generosity. And I pray in these next few moments you speak through Johannes through his story, through his experiences, through his unique perspective on who you are because of how you have led Johannes through life. And I pray that your word would be true through him, that you calm him, that you give him peace, and that you stir in us the spirit of gratitude and encouragement, that we would be able to speak back to you, to one another, and to Johannes at the end of this story. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Yeah. My story. I've been called too thankful. And I feel like that sounds crazy. Um, or maybe self-righteous. But it's the truth. And it was the first thing that came to my mind when it was, when we were talking about the, the, this chapter, this, this aspect of gratitude. Too thankful. Here's some background information for that. So when I was, um, when, I, when I think about what it was like as a kid, it, it kind of seems like I took most things for granted. And of course I would like say thank you whenever I needed to or when something was given to me, probably sometimes because I would get yelled at otherwise by my parents. Or, um, I mean, I was just told to say it. But I don't think that had much to do with gratitude. And maybe... When I think back, this is similar with my family's prayer life. I mean, we prayed in front of every meal. We thank God for the things that we received, but I didn't really connect the dots when I was a kid or when I was a young teenager. It kind of, in hindsight, and maybe even then, seemed like an empty ritual. And I guess we didn't really practice gratitude as a family. Like... I don't blame my parents, but because I think I come from a good family and things were going really well, but maybe there was just, just enough pessimism to go around to, so that our conversations didn't really turn towards the things that we should be grateful for in a way that got like, through to me as a kid. And if we did talk about things that we were thankful for, it sometimes might have even been like in a sarcastic or exasperated manner. We should be thankful for these things. And just think about these things that you should be thankful for, as opposed to always moping around. I mean, maybe that's a German thing, the moping. <laughs> so, yeah, in hindsight, I have to say, I don't feel like I grew up truly expressing gratitude. I mean, I used meaningless words, I feel like, just saying thank you without it being backed up with emotions here and there. But my thankfulness was an empty ritual, I would say. 
And I was finally called out on that when I was 13 years old the first time I went to America. So when I was 13 years old, I had the opportunity to go with my youth minister, Brett, and his wife, Heather, on their furlough trip, where they visited, I don't even know, countless churches in America. And I accompanied them for five weeks through, I think, seven states. And they had this bratty me with them the entire time, day and night. And they paid money for me for food, for shelter, for, for hotels, for entertainment. We went to Kings Island and a few other things. Like... They really took me in, and as if they were my parents, and they took me around and they put up with me the entire time. And I guess they weren't really bothered by my by my attitude, or it didn't didn't seem that they were, um, even if my thanks was not very genuine or or backed up with with the right emotion. I would say that they just moved past that. They did the things that they wanted to do anyway, and they were they were great to me. But when it came to some of our hosts, we didn't always, we barely ever stayed at hotels, actually, but we had lots of hosts on the way, different people that we stayed with at their place. When it came to them, whatever I was doing wasn't enough, and they needed to talk to me about it. I think it was um, specifically when we stayed with this older couple. Um, they were living in a senior citizen facility home somewhere in Ohio. I don't remember their names, but I remember being at their place and how air-conditioned it was and how old it smelled, and how old they were, and how bored I was when I was 13. Like, they were excited about old people things. It was, they had a Christmas in July party with a white elephant gift exchange and Bing Crosby paraphernalia. And I was 13 and bored. And I was like, why are we doing this? Why are we here? Why aren't we at Kings Island yet? So... I don't know. I guess I don't, I mean, I don't remember exactly how I was acting, but I, I think I remember a certain sense of obstinateness or bratiness that I must have expressed. And then I do remember that Brett and Heather sat me down, talked to me. Pretty short conversation. I mean, I don't like getting yelled at. I probably wiggled my way out of there somehow. But it left an impact. It made me realize how much, like, I am not expressing gratefulness the right way, but also it made me realize how much I'm actually receiving. I just took things for granted because I was the, the interesting German kid that was in America that people wanted to get to know. But I realized that, no, I was the one that was given things and I was the one that was receiving things. And I think from that on, I started to realize that it had been an empty ritual. Not just that. I mean, the whole thing shaped my future. It deepened my faith with God, I would say, and it made me want to choose the path that I was on, going, going to America again to study in college and, and study the Bible. Um, but at the time, I began seeing these things, the ways that have already happened up until then, and everything since then as gifts from God, and that gratitude for these things can be so much more than an empty ritual. So from then on I said thank you, and I meant it a whole lot more often. Maybe at first still not to get yelled at, but I caught on. So the whole thing had changed the way I talked and acted, and back in Germany that confused a few people, because Germans are more direct. Maybe, maybe you know this. They say what they think. They are critical people, and I'm sure that some of you have experienced that through me. Like, imagine sitting down at, at a dinner table and someone just prepared a three-course meal 
and um, the person across from them is like, wait, you use that salad dressing? And in Germany, that's like, yeah, well, I like it, and non nothing much happens, but when I pulled that stunt in America, the first year I came to college here, the faces around the table were aghast, and that's etched into my mind the way I criticized. That was not very good when the person right in front of me had cooked the food. Anyway, so in Germany, I guess we focus more on the standard or the expectation that hasn't been met yet. So the achievement that leads up to now or up to then doesn't, doesn't count for as much. And a person with that kind of mindset was um, this guy, Michael, that I interned under when I was 17. He's a communications trainer or communications coach that focused on criticism more so than achievement. Even though he was a very like, up-and-at-it person, he would always find the next thing that you needed to improve and not talk as much about the thing that was already there. And even for the little things that he did for me, I always said thank you in a, in a way that I thought meant it. But at some point he was like, why do you say thank you so much? You say thank you way too much. And I was pretty surprised by that. I thought I was genuine. I mean, did it mean less to him because I said it so often? Was he thinking that my thankfulness is an empty ritual. And that's just, I remember that so weirdly as well, and I don't know if I've thought through it, and I feel like that gives me a few hang-ups when it comes to gratitude from time to time. Either, either I'm not being grateful enough, I'm not expressing it enough, or I get told that it's not genuine because I do it too much. How, what's the right way? I don't, I don't really know, but I feel like at the time even I was grateful and I'm more optimistic now because I see the little things that are happening, and I'm expressing that. And so I feel like I changed, even in hindsight, realizing it between both of these events of, of being yelled at for how ungrateful I was and being yelled at for saying thank you too much. I think it changed me. And it feels like I have an easier time seeing that God is active in our lives and that it makes me more optimistic. Even though I can also tell and from my family and friends that sometimes it feels like there's too long of a gap between the, the real big things that we should be thankful for, the, the things that are like good enough to actually mention in, in a list of things that we are thankful for. But I don't know, I, like, I feel like I'm able to see the little things a lot as well. And that is why um, the story in the Bible of John 19 is one of my favorite stories. And it might get used a lot, but I still, I'm so encouraged by this story in the Bible. Uh, just a few verses in John 19, starting at 25. Um, let me find it here really quick. It says, Meanwhile, standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing beside her, he said to his mother, Woman, this is your son. Then he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. And after this, when Jesus knew that all was now finished, he said, In order to fulfill the scripture, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of 
the wine on a branch of hyssop and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the wine, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his ghost. And so here, while the biggest thing possible is happening, while Jesus is dying on the cross to redeem all of humanity, he pays attention to the littlest thing there is. He pays attention to a personal problem of an individual, of two individuals, of, of two single persons' loneliness, or like their future lacking. Jesus connects these two individuals that at that moment don't really have anything to do with the big thing that is happening, with the, with the main event that's going on. They're just bystanders with personal problems, but Jesus takes care of them. And yes, sometimes the good things, the big things that are very far apart, and that can be discouraging. Like, it's been so long that this main thing has happened, and we're still waiting on Jesus' return. I think about that sometimes, or, but I also like to think about the little things that are happening in between, like gathering here together, worshiping God, sharing stories, worshiping Him with our community, with our songs, with the Eucharist, as we talked about it, the good grace that he's given, the thanksgiving that we express for that. It's just a little ritual, but it's not an empty ritual. And that's why I'm so thankful that we're here together. He reached out and said, I'm, I'm interested in, in teaching and talking, but the preparation is the thing that I, I don't love the most. But I feel this sense of invitation and maybe calling, whatever we, however we want to define that word, um, to be able to share story and what God's doing and, and the part of my life with others. My spirit was encouraged because that's my favorite thing about church. Is not, it's not watching Steve be the guy. It's not being the guy. It's not watching... Kelly be the woman, although I think that's super dope that we have that freedom in a historically restoration movement background that we've, that, that's pretty cool. But that those who find that they have a voice can use that voice in however it is that God is calling them from a community of children in the back to now a princess's ballet to the unbelievably gifted men and women that are on this stage every week that help us come to Jesus with gratitude through song, to the concerts that some of you participate in, to the writings that you make, to the people that you defend, to the lives that you heal. What encourages me is that when your story is saying, hey, can I be told that we would have a community that would say, sure, this is the space for that. And so as Johannes started to share a little bit of his story, what I found myself in, it was this conversation with someone who, while he was telling me his story, I felt like he was encouraging me the entire time. That he would share something and I would laugh and then he would speak back and say, oh, but that's really important. And then I'm like, why, why do I feel good about you telling me your story? And then he said, sometimes I get accused of being too grateful. And I'm like, there, there it is. You're so grateful for us to have this conversation that I feel 
unworthy of being a part of it. And I don't know what to do with that. Except say, hey, would you just tell us your story so maybe we could give back a little bit? Because there's a real problem in the majority of cities where churches exist, and it's called one-way giving, right? The church's job is to give out, but we don't give equality and value for the church to give back. Sunday morning structure is really built that way. It's really built for us from up here to give out and and create expectation, and the way that you give back is to go live it out out there, which is not a two-way giving. It becomes another one-way where you take it from whatever you've gotten here, and then you're supposed to give it away to someone else, and then they're supposed to give it away to someone else. That's one-way gifting. It doesn't work. You want to meet all of my friends from hard places and all of these youth, they are the victims of one-way giving for most of their lives. For 14, 15 years, people have been handing them things and saying, you should be grateful for this. Instead of saying, I have this, would you like to share it with me while you tell me your story? Because we need to see that there's this two-way path. One-way giving doesn't build a community. It builds empty rituals. Like gratitude before you pray for your Chipotle or Skyline or whatever. It feels empty sometimes because it's become this ritualistic approach to gratitude. And I love that that's how Johannes started his story with like, we were kind of grateful. I was taught to pray before I ate. I was taught to say thank you when someone gave me something. And then I was called out because I wasn't really grateful for Bing Crosby and all that he was bringing to my life in July. How does empty ritual translate into authentic relationship? Well, it becomes a two-way conversation. So a couple of people are going to pass something out to you, and I'm going to ask you to participate as we finish this morning. Kaylin and Sonny, would you help me? You're going to get a pen, and you're going to get a piece of paper. And I'm going to ask you to respond this morning by saying thank you for sharing your story. The part that spoke to me was, and on that piece of paper, you're going to write that statement to one of three people. First, you can write that statement to God. God, thank you for sharing your story with me this morning. The part that spoke to me here was this, and it can be a prayer that you are writing to him in response to him being the author and generous giver of all things that are happening this morning. Second, you could write that to yourself Because something was stirred in you this morning about your own story and you started to just chew on it a little bit. You were encouraged by it or you were maybe felt a little overwhelmed by it. But part of your story arose this morning and you just want to write a note to yourself and say, self, thank you for sharing a little bit of your story in here this morning. I'm grateful that we just started to wrestle with this. I'm grateful that I just started to think about this because That self-worth is important. And third, and this one might be like, this might be out there, this might be weird for churches to do. You can write a note to Johannes and say, thank you for telling me your story this morning. The part that spoke to me was this. 
And we begin with those three questions and writing these down to start changing the template of what church gatherings start to look like. So it doesn't matter who is up here. It matters how we encourage one another because the word of God is not just spoken out from this stage so that then you can get to work on it. The word of God is spoken in this midst so that we can be grateful for what God is saying among us and in us and around us. So you can write for a moment, and we're going to enter into a time of communion, which is also known as Eucharist, which is also worded as good grace, where we remember that Christ's body was broken, his blood was shed, but even in that, before he took his last drink of this earth, he was generous to his mother and his friend, John. And they lived the rest of their lives in gratitude, in response, because the grace was good of reconciliation. So take a moment to write, then I'll pray, then we will hand you emblems, and then we will go and have lunch together. Jesus, this morning as we end with Eucharist, we celebrate uh, that you're the one who made this grace so good, that your grace is so generous, and we pray that uh, we would, in this time of communion with you, that we would remember gratitude to you for your generosity in the midst of our circumstances, that we would remember uh, that there's no shame that has ever overcome that resurrection that you've given us through you so that it has no hold on us and that our adversary's greatest effort is to separate us from one another and to create us into enemies trying to consume one another instead of neighbors offering gratitude and kindness to each other. I pray for that prayer over our church as we celebrate you through this remembrance of your body and your blood. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.